The world is old and the powers are weary. The god at the door of night has fallen and the great enemy of the world has come back from the timeless void. The shadow has awakened the great evils to regain dominion over Ardar. Darkness shall cover the land if not for the deeds of a small fellowship of elf friends. Join the players of this Dungeons and Dragons campaign as they fulfill the events of the Dagor Daggeron prophecy and strive with Morgoth on the plains of Valinor. Welcome to the Undying Lands in Part 3 of the Inglorian Bastards Trilogy, Trials of the Valor. Alright, welcome everybody to episode 107 of the Inglorian Bastards podcast. With me tonight, I have my first visual artist. You're going to have to bear with me because I am definitely not a visual artist. Um, but I am lucky enough to have a great, great artist, um, a great Tolkien artist as well. Ted Naismith. And on top of, of just being a great artist, he is also a Tolkien scholar. And we're going to talk more about that. He is a musician and I think just a, a generally an all-around Renaissance man. Um, and, and it is my pleasure to have you here, Ted. So thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me too, Jared. I have watched and listened to many of the interviews you have done uh, in the past. And some of the questions I'll ask will sort of touch on some of the things you've talked about. And you, you, you're welcome to sort of retell the stories or, or sort of glance over them as you like. I have some, some questions here that I think sort of touch on things that I haven't heard about before that I'm interested in learning more about. But I think the most logical place to start would be uh, I, I read somewhere that you have, quote unquote, a, a powerful affinity for Tolkien. And I think maybe you were, it was a story about you and your sister. Could, could you tell us about when you first discovered this powerful affinity for Tolkien? Sure. Um, and it's interesting because uh, it's partly that I knew about the books. I'd seen them in the stores nearby. Um, and I thought it was a science fiction series of some sort. Yeah. And that is because Barbara Remington's cover art, you know, which is kind of uh, beloved, uh, etc., of these, you know, venerated now, you know, the Valentine paperback covers, which mm -hmm. where you put the three books together, formed one picture. Well, uh, my sister had read the books, and she, you know, she handed the fellowship to me. She said, "I think you'll like this. Actually, I think this is the sort of thing you'd like." So I start reading it, and I'm thinking, you know, okay, whatever. It's uh, I'm thinking science fiction, and when it turns out to be about kind of a mythical past, and there's these hobbits, and it's very homey and uh, very sort of accessible, like it's just like, whoa, okay, this, I, I, yeah, I'm right in on this one. This is good. Um, and, uh, from then on, it was just like I was hooked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think a lot of people probably had that same feeling where you feel like you're coming yeah. home when you, when you first start yeah. reading. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it was just, it was not expecting it to be any, at all about a sort of a fairy tale world of dragons and wizards or anything like that that caught me uh, by surprise and I think that was kind of a special way of having, you know, having the first experience of it. Yeah. Well, um, at that point in your life, um, how old would you say you were then? I was about, I guess, 14, 15, it's hard to remember, but okay, yeah, yeah, just yeah. sort of early high school years. And and had you at that point started drawing, painting, uh, and sketching? Soon after I read Lord of the Rings, um, it was, yeah, a question of, oh, I, you know, this is a book that wants to be illustrated, that wants to pictures, um, and, uh, you know, I wasn't particularly good at that sort of material. Um, I 
was into cars and spaceships and things and things mm-hmm. that were hard and shiny. But I, the inspiration was powerful, so of course I started to explore ideas for characters and scenes and things of this kind. It just was just like loose sketches and things, um, just ideas and thumbnails. Um, eventually that led to something more substantial, doing stuff in color, paintings. Uh, the first two or three years was fairly productive and everyone realized that I was seized with this book and, and really wanted to uh, do something with it. Uh, I, I was in high school at the time uh, in, in an art course, and so uh, it, that offered me ways of expressing it as well because I could kind of incorporate it into some of the studies, the different the illustration course I was taking, for instance. It was about drawings fairly quickly, yep. And I did send some off to J.R.R. Tolkien, which is uh, something I've talked about before. Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, so he wrote back to you. For the for those of you that don't know the story, this was actually my next question. So you yeah. you sent him, um, you you sent him a drawing of uh, had a picture and and I believe it was it was it Bilbo or Frodo that was in the picture. It was Bilbo. It was the picture of the, the dwarves Gandalf and Bilbo in in bag and looking at the map. You know the map. That oh the, yeah. Thorin had brought, um, and uh, just trying to you know. This, this sort of scene at, at night. Uh, and so that was the one I, I, I'd done that in grade 12, I guess it would have been. Uh, and so it was this 1972, uh, the first first proper illustration, I would call it. Um, really put a lot of time and effort in. So I sent that photographs of that details of it and the full picture to Tolkien, along with a handful of other uh, drawings that I'd done. And, and get this letter back from him via his uh, correspondence secretary and an aerogram. And it was, it was very affirming. It was very encouraging to me at the time. You know, he took the trouble to look at what I'd sent and comment on it. Um, he mentioned that Bilbo looked a bit too much like a child, which was, you know, useful information. But, you know, it's, it's understandable that people would kind of get that impression being hobbits are the size of kids. Right, exactly, yeah. Almost like they're innocents in a world of adults. Uh, so there's, it's not surprising that we get that impression. But he, it was good to hear from him and, and all of that. Just like for a young illustrator, a young budding artist, uh, to get encouragement from the, the author and who knew he died uh, the following year. Wow, so you must have been like one of the last people he wrote to. Um, it may have been definitely within, within the last number of months of his, uh, yeah, his, his letters, sure. Well, I, so so after this, so this is what, 72, 73, you were saying? Oh, 72, 72, yeah. He dies the following year in 73, I think it's September, if I recall. And so you continued working, um, and and after that, you started contributing to the to these Tolkien calendars, right? Uh, did, you, yeah. did you start that? Was it around 87? That's the first one came out in '87. Uh, the artwork for it had been pre- uh, produced in years prior. Uh, uh, I, I, I work it out to be about 15 years between starting to paint seriously uh, Tolkien scenes and the publication of my art. And through that time, I'd sought publication in um, from, say, Ballantine. Mm-hmm. who I knew about in North America as publishers of Tolkien uh, and their calendars. And it was the, the emergence of the calendars in the 70s that galvanized me to think that I could probably get some of my stuff in a calendar and, and therefore um, make it available to a wider audience. So that 
to achieve that was a big deal, definitely. Um, and it was a bit of a roundabout way of getting it. But um, at first, it was like I joined the Tolkien Society uh, in the 70s in order to get closer to people who were kind of more, more versed in Tolkien and who may have, had, may have contacts. And it was through the editor of their bulletin that I was able to be put in touch with George Allen and Unwin, the, uh, the original publishers of Tolkien in London. And I was kind of learning a lot at that time about how it all, you know, how it all worked. Um, and that, let's say, the U.S. or Canadian publishers were just branch offices to the original English publishing. Uh, okay. well, so at this point, were you still into uh, cars and spaceships, or had you pretty much kind of switched gears at that point? Oh, I stick. I stuck with the cars. Um, that was a the, the rest of it. Yeah, that was sort of more childish, childhood stuff. Um, and the cars had been a particularly important thing to me, and that was because I I grew up on uh, the Art Fitzpatrick Pontiac illustrations that used to come out in Life magazine, mm-hmm. National Geographic, and others. Um, and I, I was absolutely mad about those pictures, and so I styled myself as the next art Fitzpatrick. And at that time, though, um, car illustration for uh, advertising and or sales brochures was grinding to a halt, and they, all of the companies were starting to use illust- uh, sorry, um, photographers, and that was the end of the era. Uh, right around the time I discovered Tolkien, but what I ended up doing was um, painting car illustrations, like potential advertising illustrations uh, for myself, just as a kind of a thing, and, and uh, carry on the tradition. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I continue to do this to this day. I, I still have ideas, and, and, uh, and like every so often I'll just take the trouble to paint a picture of a car. Uh, well, I have to show some my father-in-law some of your artwork. Uh, he'll love that. He's a car guy. Um, right. Well, let, let me let me. Um, I I think I I could go off on probably a few different tangents here, but um, it's right. Yeah. Why? Well, so I, I want to talk to you. So so after the these um, we talked a little bit about the calendars and and sort of through this process, you contributed to these calendars for years. Um, yep. And I, and I believe it was was it was it Christopher Tolkien that reached out to you um, to do the the first illustrated edition of the Silmarillion. Uh, well, with that one, it's more a case of the publishers, uh, which is now it's Harper Collins in mm-hmm. London, and they had been lobbying the Tolkien estate, Christopher Tolkien, uh, for some time about a possible illustrated edition of the Silmarillion, and he kept turning them down. Uh, he was always hard to please and had his own ideas and wanted to protect what he felt was the important things and so on. Mm-hmm. But uh, they showed him um, a number of uh, color sketches that I'd done in the previous year or so. I gathered all that stuff together, made photocopies, put it into a little brochure, and sent it over to the editors at HarperCollins, thinking that, you know, yes, the book was illustratable for sure, and it it needed something to help people um, appreciate it because it was considered inferior to the Lord of the Rings. It was a Mohobbits, uh, fairly uh, tragic and, and sad and solemn and so on, mm-hmm. but uh, a much more adult and more fascinating look at Tolkien's wider ideas on mythology and, and this incredible uh, history that he's, he's made up there. Um, 
they, I'm, I'm sending this stuff over there to say, we, well, maybe we can do uh, an art book on Silmarelli, you know, just pictures of mine that reflect my ideas of you know, how it might be uh, illustrated. They show it to Christopher Tolkien, and he's intrigued. Mm. He sees artwork for the first time, I guess, that for him strikes him as um, quite uh, appropriate or su sufficiently uh, sophisticated. And that's when we start into serious negotiations to illustrate the book and a timeline, you know, all of that comes together. And uh, there was another aspect to it, and that is that um, he wasn't too keen to work with those editors at that point in time. And I convinced them to let me talk to him personally, just deal with him personally. Wow. And that was easily um, the best arrangement because it was what I was used to in other kinds of commercial art. And I knew it would be the, the best way to, you know, kind of simplifying and, and streamlining things uh, because we only had, by the time we decided on all the subjects um, and I'd sent in more refined thumbnail drawings for them, we had about eight months to do the full color uh, pieces and that's 20 pictures. Or oh my 25 goodness. Pictures. Uh, so I had to just, work furiously but of course it's a Silmarillion so it's an amazing breakthrough and a privilege and an honor so I pull out all the stops but yeah working with him was terrific he would send me faxes he'd written handwritten um, letters and things like that okay. commenting on what I'd sent him and, um, over the weeks and months um, it was a very cordial relationship uh, he, he was very good to work with um, so you are one of the uh, first people that I've interviewed since his passing, um, right. and um, and and you know we we haven't really talked a lot about Christopher on this podcast, but we we could go on and on about um, just w what his contribution has meant um, to, the, to the study of his father's work. So so you get this opportunity to work with him closely. Can you tell us any more about your relationship with him? Like, uh, did you stay in touch with him over the years? Um, no, I mean, if I had wanted to contact him, I'm sure he would have been gracious about that and, and uh, answered my letters. Uh, but um, once we had finished with the project itself, he, uh, he made it clear that, you know, our correspondence was, was ending now um, and it wasn't going to be some kind of ongoing thing at all. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I knew that that was important because uh, he had a lot of responsibility and a lot of people to deal with all the time. Uh, and also all his writing projects, which were, gone, were ongoing, of course. Um, but there was one area where he uh, he really endeared himself to me, and that was that about four years after the first edition of the Illustrated Silmarillion came out, which was 1998, they uh, at HarperCollins decided they might want to do an expanded Illustrated edition so they approached me about that and they were giving me a pretty severe timeline and there was going to be a calendar as well that came up. Well, um, when Christopher heard about that, and he was quite concerned about um, the quality that I might or may not, might not be able to do in such a short time. So he pushed them to give me an extra year. And that's when I created another 20 paintings with a lot more sort of time and, and comfort for that and and in a couple of cases i replaced illustrations in the first edition with newer ones that i thought were a better 
reflection of my skills. So um, it was really a great uh, triumph, and that's why this newer version, which you see with the um, elven ships on the cover, yeah, nice painting there, and that's uh, the better of the two versions, and by a long shot. So I'm very, I'm very grateful to, to Christopher for that eternally. <laughs> Yeah, I can't Im imagine the pressure uh, to, to yeah. turn out that amount of paintings. Um, I, I just want to say that the Silmarillion is my favorite of, of Tolkien's work, and it is. Um, oh, and and it, of your of your artwork, there's so so many things to love, but it it's the some of my favorite come from sort of the Silmarillion era. Um, my 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 very favorite one, and and I, I wanted to ask you about this painting. Um, I. You, I, I've actually seen all, like two similar paintings. Um, you did, you did the Hidden City of Gondolin, um, yes. and, and I wanted to ask you. So there's, so one when Tuar reaches Gondolin, and one kind of at the at the cairn of of uh, Fingolfin. Oh, okay. Fingolfin. Yeah, yeah, and so and so the the pictures are very similar in a lot of ways. Um, of course, the one that I fell in love with was when Tuar came. As I was looking at this the last few days. Um, it occurred to me possibly this the city was there for a long time, right? So, so, so it was possible that I was not just looking at an artist's uh, a different representation of kind of the same area, but but maybe the city over time. Um, and I wanted to ask you about that. Here's how I think about that. It's um, since I, if a painting like that, one of Fingolfin's Cairn comes up and it's a commission, in that case, it's a commission from a private collector. There's no rule that says the gondolin that I create has to be the same exact version each and every time I do it, unless it's all appearing in the same book or some sort of way that they're associated together. But as different paintings, I give myself the, the option of altering details because there is so many possibilities. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah, so the, the, the walls of the city are different. The, the whole look is different. It's more closer to Tolkien's version in that one, in that Fingolfin word. The earlier one, I was trying to come up with a, a more kind of exotic, uh, asymmetrical sort of version of the city, uh, but I kind of gravitated towards this more um, symmetrical, rounded um, dish with a tower in the middle of it. And, okay, so um, so so the uh, tour was the earlier picture. Uh, yes, yeah, so it precedes it by a number of years. Oh, okay. The Bing Golf was done just last year, I guess. Oh wow! The and the and the mountains around Fingolfin's Cairn are just like it. Just says keep out, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, I want to make sure that the you know it, what it, what you see when you see that is like oh yeah, that's a pretty formidable uh, barrier, and no wonder um, it would have been hard to find it. <laughs> well, these are these are beautiful, and they're my absolute favorite. And if my listeners have not seen them, um, they should go to your website and check them out. Let, let's talk more about your artwork, and and, and please um, don't judge me too harshly. I am not a visual artist. I'm into books. That that's my thing. Um, so, but I did want to ask you. I've I've talked to some artist friends, and I've done some research. I, I'm just looking at at other people like Maxfield Parrish and N. C. Wyeth, um, mm -hmm. who I believe were people that were sort of into the neoclassical uh, style, or, or probably right around you know 1920, 1930. Um, and I, and I see some similarities, but I, but I'm, I'm curious, were there, were there painters, were there artists that, that you sort of enjoyed, um, as you were coming up and sort of learning the art, um, that, 
uh, inspired you and that, that continues to inspire you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, I think it's pretty common for um, artists or musicians or writers and poets to, you know, learn their craft by being inspired by others and imitating them to a certain degree. And of course, if you imitate five or six different people, it's going to be a synthesis of them and it's going to start looking like original stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, So I'm, I'm more or less the same. I guess I, I absorbed various uh, classically trained artists and illustrators uh, from the era before kind of uh, the Impressionists and Modernists uh, uh, were, were prevalent. And that always struck me as, well, when it came to the Lord of the Rings, I painted what I wanted to see. Mm-hmm. And that was traditional illustration. And so it was easy for me to kind of find myself um, at home in that kind of medium, in that kind of realm. And yeah, Parrish and Wyeth, um, any number of other illustrators, Arthur Rackham, um, people who were known for fairy art, for instance, and and the great landscape painters of Europe or uh, the U.S. Uh, also Canada, you know, anyone who had a sense of the epic and details, lots of detail, because I was really into realism and I always will be. Yeah. And so those are the things that uh, you know I fed into my uh, my imagination and ideas and styles. And of course, you can see in early stuff as a very clear Maxfield Parish kind of influences and um, some other ones as well. I mean, there's a picture of the Balrog that was goes back to, I think, 1980. Yeah. Yep. And it's just after the movie Alien came out, so uh, people <laughs> knew and could see that, you know, I was quite interested in, in that look. Uh, but, well, that'll, that'll work well for a Balrog, sure. Uh, it's, it's intensely evil thing, so uh, I don't mind, you know, being associated with something like that as long as... Uh, and, you know, they evolve, as I said, these, these creatures and my ideas on them do continue to evolve. Kind of glad, by the way, if, that I haven't been asked to illustrate the Lord of the Rings. From, because one, I've done so many of them already. Uh-huh. And two, I would ex- they would expect them to be consistent. And, or maybe not, but I don't know. I would, assume, I, I would assume that that's the best uh, way of putting it foot forward is to have a completely consistent uh, artwork right through. And I don't want to do that many pictures again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was actually going to ask you about the Balrog. I have in front of me now, I have three pictures of different Balrogs you've done. Um, one was uh, Fingon, I, I, I believe. Uh, okay. One was, uh, and two of them were with Gandalf. Um and right. and I and I can kind of see what you're what you're saying. One of them, um, the the one in uh, Moria, um, when he's sort of uh, squaring off against the Balrog, it, it almost looks um, like uh, shadowy, spirit like, right? Like it like it kind of dissipates. Um, and and the others, I'm guessing the ones you're talking about after Aliens were, were sort of some of the other ones. Is that right? There was one that I did for. Uh, Danbury Mint a series of collectible plates based on the Lord of the Rings. And that's a fair number of years after that one of Gandalf and the Balrog where you see him from behind and it's fairly um, huge, the alien Balrog, we'll call him. <laughs> so when I did that one, uh, so then this newer one, um, 
very much more sort of tame version and less alieny. <laughs> but I, I the, the the Balrog that the Hildebrands gave us the, the stuff that they did back in the seventies when these three best-selling calendars came out. It drove me crazy, but it also galvanized me just to sort of work harder to to uh, illustrate Tolkien in a way I thought would, would lend it the dignity it deserved. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hildebrand's is colorful and fascinating. And I, I snapped up those calendars at the time. And, you know, was, wow, pretty amazing stuff. But wrong, wrong so many times <laughs> in terms of interpreting details. And the Balrog has got to be about the wrongest one of them. Yeah. Nearly, anyway, except for maybe the gingerbread cottage of Rivendell that looked like it came out of... Uh, <laughs> No, white and the seven dwarves. Oh. But yeah, the Balrog, it's, it's a minotaur. It's not even, it hasn't anything to do with the description in Tolkien, except that it has wings. So, so it came right out of Fantasia, actually. <laughs> well, this I wanted to ask you about this. So so I, everyone that I've interviewed, they've, they've told me how many times that they've read each of these books. When you're getting ready to paint something like this um, or do one of these pieces of artwork, do you do you have to like do you have, do you go back to the source material like how many times do you have to read this to get it right? Right, right, right. Um, I haven't read the books through that many times. Um, unlike some who do uh, do that regularly, whatever I do read is comes across as almost the first time I've read it or very fresh for me. And of course, I'll just read the part that I'm in, interested in painting, um, and I will do other research if I need more information from other parts of the book. And I've got um, a few um, people that I consult who are also quite scholarly and, and well-versed. And so um, with all of those kind of people that I can consult and just going through and making sure I'm getting as many of the details correct as I can and, and all that, then um, that's, uh, that's how I more or less approach um, the illustrations. Sure. Uh, but it's a bit of a team effort sometimes, and I'll, I'll go through and I'll send thumbnails through to uh, a couple of key people, and, and, and they'll give me feedback and explore ideas and we'll brainstorm and stuff of that kind. That was very important uh, for a recent piece that I haven't yet actually shown anybody. It's a com- private commission, but it's Gandalf and the Witch King at the gates of Minas Tirith as, uh, after they've been uh, riven by Grond scene that wasn't in the film uh, as far as the Witch King and Grond in the same scene but I did that one but it was a very difficult one and it's no wonder that it hasn't been done very often because you have um, a very important moment in the book very high drama but Gandalf is described as uh, statuesque like he's just, sta- he's just sitting on um, Shadowfax uh, still as a statue so how to create kind of power and dynamics in a case like that? Uh, so I use perspective. We discussed a lot of the kind of ways we could or couldn't do that, uh, very options and alternatives. And at the end of the day, it came together quite beautifully, and I was quite proud of it. But um, I wouldn't have been able to get to that um, level on my own, probably. I can't wait to see this. When when will we be able to see, or will we ever be able to see this piece? Well, I should, yeah, oh yeah, I should put it up on Facebook. I usually do uh, about this point, but I just haven't got around to it. But <laughs> I, I will try to share that. And I guess the one reason um, with Facebook, it's like everyone's like 
giving you all this incredible praise, like, oh, that's so awesome, Sam's excellent. And like, that's not why I'm putting it up there so I can get all this, you know, compliments. It's just so people can see it, and it's one of the most easiest mediums. But it'll go up on my website, too. Oh, your website's fantastic. And I want to definitely – every piece that we talk about tonight and all of these artists, I'm going to put links in this description so that they can they can go to your website. And, and you've been very great yeah. about, you know, providing um, – these images out there for people to look at right right uh, i definitely think it's important i used to take the originals with me to england to uh, uh whenever i would go to oxenmood for the tolkien society in september yeah and, uh, but that was because i felt that people ought to be able to see the original art rather than a reproduction uh, even if it's only a few people that are happen to be there on that occasion but um, i risked damage to them you know in transit and that sort of thing but nothing ever happened thank goodness I always felt it was important to actually bring them with me. Um, well, we're, I'm kind of going off script here, but I, I kind of have to. I, I, I've seen videos of you um, from presentations um, uh, last year in Birmingham, 2019. Oh, yes, yes, right. Um, so I know you continue to still be invested in the Tolkien Society. Um, yes, that was a wonderful thing that they invited me on that, uh, for that conference. It was a fantastic conference. Uh, so many ways it was remarkable. Well, I saw you, I but, saw... I, but I'm not a member anymore. I'm not actually a member of this TS now. Okay. But it, it, I, I have many, you know, people that I've associated with over the years. So it is like a family more there, and that was just a really, really wonderful, wonderful experience. And uh, I met someone very special there as well. You did? Oh, I did. Do, do, do we get any juicy details on that? <laughs> you could say pass. <laughs> no, I'll just I'll leave it at that. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, that's awesome. Um, and I, I wanted you to know, I don't know if we've talked about this, but I'm actually taking a trip over there uh, in March. Okay. And um, okay. I'm going to be um, going to be visiting, I'm getting a tour of Oxford, um, um, visiting, oh. visiting all the sites there up in Birmingham. Uh, I'm going to go to uh, Warwick, um, going up to Great Haywood, um, going to go down to um, Cheddar Gorge. Uh, I'm trying to see all the spots while I'm there, and I'm getting. That's cool. great. That is, I'm, I'm so impressed that uh, yeah, you're going to have a, a very memorable time. And there's actually a tour being organized, although uh, it's not firm yet, but it is for May, and that is to uh, the areas around Hull up in East Yorkshire where um, Tolkien was convalescing when he came home from uh, the war. Mm -hmm. He was, in, he was suffering from trench fever. So there are a number of places up that way, and it's also places that are associated with his romance with Edith. She uh, stayed in one of the guest houses uh, while he was um, convalescing, you see. So, uh, but yeah, they've done that tour before. They're, they're going to try and do it again this spring, and it'll be, you know, sort of the sign up, and there's a bus and all this sort of thing. Oh, man, you're, you're making me want to add some more stops to I my, to my did I heard, Yeah. <laughs> I can keep you informed on it. All right, please do. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep grilling you here. So I have a few more questions right. for you. Um, and and again, this is another question that you can pass on because I don't I want you to feel like you have to answer a certain way. But I I, I am curious. What is there a particular era? Um, you know, first age, second age, third age, um, or or you can go the other way. Silmarillion, um, you know, Hobbit, Lord of the Rings. Um, is there a particular era? that you prefer to illustrate for? I suppose the end of the third age, the Lord of the Rings era, that time, you know, that period is for me always going to be the primary 
source of inspiration. Uh, but, you know, the Silmarillion, having invested so much in it and the first age and the images potentially there as well are, are endless. So I know that you know, what we see in the book is um, a fraction of what I had in mind as possible illustrations. So you see some of the other um, also rands as far as the color sketches and things on my website. But yeah, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a tremendous amount, amount of potential love for either. And in Second Age too. I mean, it has parts of it that really intrigue me. It's, it's pretty hard to choose any one of them. I, I guess I would go with um, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I've rediscovered a love for The Hobbit. I mean, it's it's such a fun book, and that now sharing right. it with my kids, it's it's oh, that's great. That's yeah, awesome. it's really. I did too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I so I have um, I have a few more paintings that I want to ask you about here, and it just so happens that the first ones I want to talk about are from the Third Age, and these are trying to bring some of my some of my interviews sort of full circle here. These are two illustrations that Standing Stone Games sent over to me, and I believe they were doing an expansion over there for Lord of the Rings Online, and, and so I have two illustrations here. One of them is from Barad-dûr, and and the other I think is from the, the Black Gate. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. When, when did you work on those? Oh, Re pretty recently, yeah. right? Like, yeah, about a couple of years ago, I guess it would have been two years ago. Or so, um, yeah, wonderful guys to work with, and, uh, and at first it was like, oh, there's all uh, different uh, versions of all the characters here, uh, Gandalf's costume and things. But you know, I, I'm there to provide artwork, uh, and. That was fine with me. I liked uh, the idea of just adapting their game imagery to uh, an epic uh, landscape and battle scene. So uh, I was quite proud of how that came out in the end. Uh, it, was, it was a bit of a challenge um, and, and good working with them, like I say. And the, the Barrack Door thing was even more bizarre. Uh, they sent me some wonderful um, still shots of 3D sort of... Uh, construction sort of um, preliminary um, imagery to uh, so that I understood what I was looking at mm -hmm. and you know the architecture that they'd created as well um, so they were just they provided me with everything that I needed to support what I was uh, painting uh, but it wasn't you know that barren door there's not a lot of light it's sort of illuminated by uh, Mount Doom right and so uh, yeah it, it, again I was pretty Pretty happy with it, but it was an odd one. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I I will see if um if I can get their permission um to, to put these to a link to these. Uh, do you have these up on your website actually? Um. Yeah, I think so. I know. I know at least one of them is there. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll see if I can link to those uh to there so the listeners can see them. The black gate. Yeah, yeah, I think they're both in there. Great. The last two pieces of art that I want to ask you about uh, is, is related to the story that I'm telling. Um, so our podcast is uh, is about a story sort of that I created uh, as a Dungeons and Dragons sort of campaign that I that I ran a couple years ago. And we, you know, the, the podcast the majority of the episodes are a serialization of of these sessions. And you know, the D and D was mediocre. Um, I don't know if you've played D and D, but it's a it's mediocre. Uh, but but the the storyline is something that I'm pretty proud of, and um, mm -hmm. and then being able to interview people like you and and to sort of you know frame the story and and to sort of go deeper, um, I think is really what has made this podcast really fun. And when when you're 
when, when this airs, when this episode airs, the, the characters are going to be, they're going to have just gone on top of Tani Quetel to um, the, the house of Manwe, the mansion of Manwe, um, Ilmarin. And I have, mm. there is this beautiful picture of, of the tallest mountain on Arda, Tani Quetel. Um, and, at right. the, and at the top is this just beautiful mansion. And I was studying this again the last couple of days and, and um, sort of really looking into what is, you know, oh, there's a swan boat there. Okay. Um, this is cool. I'm looking for, I'm looking for like the Calakiria, right? The Pass of Light. Um, I'm looking and I'm, and I'm noticing, you know, that in towards the West, um, the sun is over there. So this must be a, a sunset. How, how am I doing so far on this? On this um, yeah. Yeah. And there isn't an enormous amount of logic here. Uh, and it, or if it doesn't seem like there is, it's, there's a good reason for it. And that is all I was doing. And this had been something I'd been planning for some years. Some paintings do take a long time to gestate. Um, it, I'd had it in mind to do a version of Tolkien's uh, painting of, of the mountain. And I always liked it. I always thought it was an intriguing picture. Um, there's a band of clouds that are below the top mansion, Ilmarin. And uh, there's a moon and a sun in the same scene. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, another a swan boat, like I put in. Um, and so all the elements are there. It's a very tall mountain as well, which I thought, well, yeah, it has to be like that, like almost a spike. And so everything that you see there is basically taking Tolkien's and thinking, well, let's see if this is doable as a more realistic picture. Um, and there are things in that that, you know, aren't really uh, plausible or real so much as uh, just impression and, and fairy and fantasy. But uh, that was the idea was just to create a kind of a fantasy image that was exotic, that was really special to Tolkien and central to the Silmarillion. Well, I, I think you did a fantastic job. If you study the, or if you sort of follow the Pelore south uh, into the land of Avatar, you can you can get a sense on the grandeur here of of um, the kinds of shadows that these mountains would cast into the dark into the dark lands um, of Avatar. The other picture that is a picture of of Maglor tossing the Silmaril into the ocean, and and the reason I bring this one up is because our characters are about to. Um, the, the whole podcast is about the dagger, Dagorath, right? The the last battle. Mm-hmm. You know, Tolkien kind of uh, you know edged away from. He really kind of didn't go there, right? Um, but but there's this there's this stuff that he's written about that are just beautiful to plan this adventure around, and and the characters in the story are essentially doing these tasks, um, what I'm calling the trials of the Valar. Um, to, to bring about the Dagger Daggerath. And, and one of them is to find this Silmaril because there's a part of the prophecy that says that the, the Silmarils will be recovered and that Feanor, uh, Feanor, having been released from the halls of Mandos, will sort of give up the Silmarils and as, as, as a way of like maybe learning his lesson. Um, uh, and so the, one of the very first trials of the Valar that the characters will do is to essentially meet Maglor on the beach and um, where he's wandering uh, sort of crazily, they find his Silmaril. Um, can, can you tell us a little bit about this picture? In my mind, it was uh, you know, fairly simple. Uh, you want a, a figure throwing uh, a jewel, something bright and illuminated, out into the ocean. It's not easy to um, freeze a throwing pose, but I 
did my best to do that, uh, consulting pictures and so on. You know, there isn't an awful lot to say about it. Uh, just want to make sure that it was reasonably plausible that he, he, you know, when he threw this out, it would have been uh, deep water and so on. I'm picturing my grandfather used to say, um, "Red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky at morning, <laughs> sailors take warning." Right. So I, I'm, I'm picturing picturing this in in sort of. Um, and maybe I'm I'm looking into it too much, but you know there's a, there's this red sky, and I'm and I and I like it, what it conveys to me is sort of like the the seriousness of what is happening, and sort of like all of the all of the drama leading up to this moment, you know. Right, right. Well, I like that. <laughs> I I don't know. Sometimes it's just instinctive, um, but the color scheme. I don't even remember why I decided on it exactly, but I, I do think of it as evening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's all the artwork that I wanted to talk about. I did have a question about something else that you're passionate about. And that, that is obviously your, uh, your, one of your musical projects. Um, and and maybe, maybe this is a simple answer. Like, um, I'm not working on that anymore. I'm, I'm not sure, but I was intrigued because my youngest son is named Baron. And so I am curious about this, uh, Baron and Luthien musical project that you, that you ha- at least at least uh, I've read you were working on this. The idea came from Alex Lewis, my uh, agent and broker and longtime friend, and he's quite a prolific composer in his own right. Um, so two of us have collaborated. We've played together at Ox and Moots, for instance, and whenever we're at his house, if there's anyone there, we usually uh, regale them with songs and things. Uh, he's quite quite the uh, composer of uh, song cycles and individual songs. And his idea of an afternoon's enjoy- enjoyment is just to sit down and write music and write songs. And anyway, uh, he had done another song cycle some years before. I guess it was on Turin, if I recall. Um, and he told me that he had a series of lyrics for Baron and Luthien. Would I be interested in having a look at that? Maybe I'd come up with some music of my own. So I did that and started making up songs and I had this idea that uh, we could tell the story in a series of songs. Um, it became quite a project. I mean, I was recording it on a small Porta studio for a number of years, uh, one song after another and multi-tracking it, uh, playing little instruments here and there. And what we have now is basically a, a pretty good demo of what could be a really great finished recording uh, but it has all, I think, 20 songs. Um, they more or less are in minor keys and a few major keys, but everything has a certain motif in it that recurs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm quite proud of how it came out. After I'd finished composing the first uh, version of songs, um, Alex told me that he had, in fact, sent it to music himself, but he held back that because he wanted me to have a free hand. So I listened to his versions of, it, of the same songs that I put them lyrics to uh, and decided in a couple of cases that I liked his versions and we ended up kind of um, blending mine and his uh, in some cases in the same song so that it's a true collaboration between us um, but it's sort of sitting in limbo and the reason is that uh, for a long time the Tolkien estate did not grant licenses to any musical projects uh, mm. the only exception being Paul C. Godfrey and his incredible opera opus of uh, 
Silmarillion um, musical works, and turns out he's worked with Lord of the Rings and, and The Hobbit as well. But this is a Welsh composer whose Christopher Tolkien has given permission to uh, publish his music, and that's happening now. As they're starting to bring out CDs every few uh, every few months, hmm. and Opera Volante has has volunteered to perform the music. Uh, anyway, all that to say that yeah, um, Baron Baron and Luthien's song cycle is available from me personally. I don't mind burning copies and sending it out, but it's not a finished work like my other CD, which is um, which I did take a lot more trouble over to make sure it sounded professional. Well, maybe I can talk with you offline about getting a copy of that. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Awesome. Well, um, before we go, anything else um, that, that you're working on that you wanted to let people know about? Well, all I'll say is that there are uh, two or three nice Tolkien commissions, private commissions, and I'm... Uh, working on in the next weeks. Uh, there is another uh, couple of paintings that I can't talk about right now, but we'll, soon enough we'll reveal those, but uh, keep an eye on that one. Uh, it's an important project as well, and that's going to uh, come to fruition later this year. And where, where will we be able to find out about that? It'll be announced um, officially, and there will be big news, believe me. Okay, all right. Well, yeah. Are are you um, are you active on Twitter? Will we be able to sort of? Oh, right. No, I, I, I probably should, but. <laughs> so we should we should stick to Facebook in your website. For now, I think yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, Ted, thank you so much for for chatting with me tonight. Oh, you're very welcome, Jared, and my pleasure. Though this marks the end of the episode, the road goes ever on. Until next time, join us at longwinded.1 and consider giving us a review on Apple Music, Spotify, or really whichever platform you choose. <laughs>